This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevateerie.tv. Christmas is now, now that we're talking about that in full swing, it is officially Christmas season. Anybody excited about Christmas season? On a scale of one to 10, who, who had like a two, like a kind of average mediocre Thanksgiving, like a two? Okay, not too many people. Who had like a, a 10, like crazy, out of control, like nut house of a Thanksgiving? That's what, that's what I had. Um, hopefully you guys, everyone here had a great Thanksgiving, but, um, but Thanksgiving's a tough time, right? Because for, for, for a lot of reasons, because it's supposed to be this, it's supposed to be this season of gratitude and, and thankfulness and joy and, and peace, right? But there's a few glitches with that. The first one is I work here at the church, which is in the mall complex, obviously. You guys, you guys know that. Here's the thing about Thanksgiving. When people pull into the mall complex, everything that they learn to be able to pass a basic driving exam goes straight out the window. Am I right? I mean, lanes don't mean anything. Turn signals don't mean anything. The general direction of rows in the parking lots. I mean, those lines are all going directions. They alternate. You know what I mean? So you know which way to go. They mean nothing anymore. People get so fixated on getting that deal at the mall. That all goes right out of the window. And then here's the other glitch with, with a time of Thanksgiving and joy and peace and that sort of thing is that family time can be crazy. All right? Family time can be crazy. We had 17 people in my house for Thanksgiving. We hosted Thanksgiving this time for the first time in the last time, okay? I'm telling you, 17 people is literally 14 people too many for my house, okay? And I I love each and every one of my family members. I was so thankful to be able to host them and to celebrate, but it was literally like the opening to Home Alone, the opening scene of Home Alone, you know what I mean? Where it's just total chaos. There's kids screaming. There's kids peeing their pants. There's food everywhere. There's toys everywhere. It's just a nut house. It's chaotic. It is crazy. But the, the, the worst part about it is that scene lasts about three minutes. This lasted for three hours. Okay? So it was just this endless home alone scene going down in my house. And it, it reminded me as I was getting ready for the message today that sometimes it's so easy to feel full of frustration in, in a time when we should feel so full of joy. Right? It's, it's easy to sometimes feel a feeling that's different from what we should be feeling. And so I wanted to share, starting off with two, two phrases that kind of make me feel like that. Sometimes I'm just really torn over how I feel about them. And the first one is this, the best is yet to come. Now, that, that's, some of you guys cringe when you hear that, right? But, but it's actually something that we say a lot here at Elevate. And, and really, I get excited when we talk about it in the context of, of this church because we truly believe that the best is yet to come for this city. That's why we're doing that series, and we're excited to, to just begin to discover the purpose um, and the future of what, what God wants to do through Elevate here in Erie. And we also believe it to be true for your life, that, that you were created not just for a purpose, just to populate the earth and make God happy with his creation, but, but truly you were created every inch of you with purpose. Every single inch of you, lips, hips, and fingertips, right, created with purpose. And we truly, truly believe that. And, and we, we mean it when we say that the best is yet to come for your life. Now, some of you here, I understand, 
may not believe in Jesus. You know, maybe you're trying to figure out the whole God and the whole church thing, and, and maybe some of you believe in Jesus, but you, you don't necessarily get the whole purpose thing. You're trying to discover what that purpose is for your life. But, but this is a great message for you because of this reason, is whether we know Jesus or not, no matter where we are in life, most of us will, will always get to a point where we don't 100% believe that statement. It's one of the most uplifting things you could say to somebody, right? The best is yet to come in any situation. Well, the best is yet to come. Hang in there, buddy. But why is it so easy to be skeptical of a statement like that? And, and here's what I think. Here's, what, here's why I think it's so easy to be skeptical is because at one point or another, we're going to be overwhelmed with life, right? At, at one point or another, we're going to be let down. We're going to think we're living in the best time of our life. And then all of a sudden, something changes, Right? Has anybody here been overwhelmed by life before? I mean, if you, if you haven't been overwhelmed by life at one point or another, you're probably two or three years old, which is cool. We're glad that you're here. You should probably be over and elevate kids. But, but for the rest of us, life happens, and life is hard. I just saw my brother-in-law over there. Dude, I love you, man, by the way. Thanksgiving, that joke wasn't about you. Um, <laughs> or your kids, mostly. Um, but here's the thing, at one point or another, we're going to be let down because life happens and life is hard. And so when somebody says, well, the best is yet to come, it's sometimes hard to really believe that. Um, because just when things seem to be going great, you hit a bump. And, and if we've all hit a bump in a road, some of us, some, some of us, we hit that bump and we launch into the sky and we crash into the side of a building. Anybody ever experienced something like that in your life? I mean, you just, you just skip the bump altogether. Sometimes we would pray for a bump um, as compared to what we actually experience in life. Suddenly, everything we are so sure of is just up in the air. And that might be you today. You might be in the fight of your life today. None of us sitting around you would necessarily even know that. Um, but maybe right now you're okay. You're just fine. Things truly are great in your life. But at one point or another, we will all question that statement that the best is yet to come. And, and we kind of hear a little bit about that in 1 Peter 5.10. It says, and after you've suffered a little while, right? He just kicks, he kicks that off with a joyful note, right? After you've suffered for a little while. But it does get better. He says, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You see, in, in that passage, there, there are two promises. There's the big one, the one that we like to hang on to, the, the promise that says that the God of all grace will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us personally. He will personally come down to our level and be there beside us when we suffer. But then there's another promise in that passage that we might like to kind of gloss over, and that's the fact of we will suffer. We're going to suffer in this life and so no matter where you are today, we, we need to be able to wrestle with the statement that the best is yet to come, with the idea that the best is yet to come, and not feel bad about it, because we also need to know that there's always more than meets the eye. These are super original statements. I know you guys are like, what? He's saying the most cliche things up here. But, but here's the thing. I, I wrestle with that statement um, for, for a lot of reasons. One is that it's so cliche and overused. Some people will say, well, don't judge a book by its cover. Well, I was a graphic designer for 10 years before getting into church work. Um, so, like, literally, I cannot not judge a book by its cover, right? I mean, that's just, I, I can't not judge a book by its cover, literally. But metaphorically, I, I get it that it's true. There's always more than meets the eye. There's always the tip of the iceberg and so much more beneath the surface that we don't always see. And so to give an example today in, in the context of our church services, I'm going to talk about myself for a minute, okay? And here's why. Not because I like to just talk about myself, but because 
For those of you who, who've been coming to Elevate for a while, or maybe this is your first time, you've seen me up here, and really all that you see is kind of what you see. Some of you I've been able to, to get to know very well over the last couple of years that I've been at Elevate. Um, some of you I've never met before, and I would love to, but really, for most of you, what you see is kind of just what's on the surface. And so, for example, I play guitar, I sing. You maybe learned from Pastor Colby and from me talking that this is my full-time job. I'm honored to be able to work here at the church full-time. That I also, I wear glasses and I wear a hat, like, all the time. Always wear a hat. If, if, when people go want, want to be disguised in, in public, a lot of times they'll put on glasses and a hat. For me, I take mine off. People have no idea who I am when I'm not at church with my glasses and my hat off. And not that I ever have the need to actually hide from any of you in public. Some of you, maybe, I don't know, but... But sometimes things get a little weird. And here's an example. I was at Lowe's last year around this time, Christmas time, and my, my small stature was not helping me reach something up on a shelf. So I'm standing there kind of messing with this box. When all of a sudden from the very far end of the aisle, I hear, where's your guitar? And I'm like, I didn't bring it. Like, I don't even know what to say to that. And then finally the person walks up to me and, and I'm just like, elevate? Like, I'm Elevate, I'm guessing that's where you're from. And he's like, yeah, and then just walks away. And like, <laughs> that's it. I'm like, all right, cool, you know, but, but here's the thing. And then if that was you, cool, I would actually love to have a conversation with you and get to know you. But, but the thing is, is like, you can't really blame somebody for that because really that, that's all they know of me. That's all they see is just that tip of the iceberg of my life is me and my guitar, my hat, my glasses. And, and, and so to kind of take this example a little bit further, in, in about a minute, I want to give you a brief history of my life, okay? I want to talk, I want to get beneath the surface of the water a little bit and take a look at the iceberg. So I'm going to attempt to do that. You guys ready? Here it comes. My dad is British. He was born in the UK. He, he met my mom, um, who was from the United States, born right here in Erie, PA. They met in Saudi Arabia in the early 80s, where they were both working at the time. It's crazy, I know. But here's the thing. They dated for two months. Then my dad, like a boss, decided to propose to my mom over the phone, okay? <laughs> and then they got married only two months after that, back in England. After they got married, they moved here to the States. My dad's still a proud British citizen, but they moved to Chicago, where I was born. Um, from Chicago, we moved to New Jersey, where my first brother, Ryan, was born. He lives in Houston, Texas, with, um, with his wife, Callan, and their daughter, Lily. And he has a job at a church similar to what I do here at Elevate. Um, from New Jersey, we moved to Atlanta, where, where my, my second brother and the, the final Perkins boy was born in Atlanta. And Graham lives here in Erie with his wife, Gina, and their dog, Benny. He's a Mill Creek cop. And side note, if you get pulled over in the middle of the night by an officer with a Perkins on the badge... Yes, it's my brother, and no, using my name is not going to do you any good. Trust me. I'm just telling you right now, don't even bother trying to say, cool, like, just slap me with that ticket and whatever, and nice to see you. Um, your older brother is more handsome than you are. Um, after Atlanta, after Graham was born, we, we, uh, we moved to Huntsville, Alabama, then Birmingham, Alabama. Then my parents whipped us up here to the north, um, to Erie, Pennsylvania. And then in middle school, they got this great idea to move to Central California, which was awesome, until they got the far worse idea to move us right back to Erie, Pennsylvania after a year in the middle of February. And that's basically where I've lived since then. Um, when I was eight, so a few years before all of that back and forth, I, I started doing music. I wanted to be a classical pianist. That was my dream and goal in life was to be classical pianist with the full grand piano and the tuxedo with the, with the coattails and the orchestra. And that's what I wanted to do. And I was working hard for that until I turned 13. And then I realized that no girl ever wants anything to do with a boy who wants to be a classical pianist. 
So I immediately gave up on that dream, and I started playing drums and guitar and then much cooler instruments. And in middle school, I got involved in worship at my church. Um, after high school, I went to England and worked at a church out there for just a little while. Came back to the States. I joined a band from Nashville, did the Nashville thing um, for a little bit with those guys. They wanted me to move down there permanently, but I had met my wife a couple of years before that. Um, well, who was going to be my wife. Um, so then I, I married her, and we've been married for eight years, okay? So that's basically kind of getting beneath the surface of the water a little bit to my life, things that most of you never knew, right? So we knew, I and mean, can I take a quick survey here? Raise your hands if you're married in this, in, in the room today. So married people, hands up. All right, cool, hands down. Single people, hands up. Okay, hands back down. Married people, hands up. All right, hands down, single people, hands up again. Okay, keep them up. No, 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 keep them up real quick. Look around. Look around, I'm helping you out. I'm helping you out and giving you another reason to be thankful. You might meet your spouse here today at Elevate Church. No, but here's the thing, right, because you married people, you know that it's hard, but it's awesome, right? It, it's great. It was truly one of the best decisions I made in my life was to marry my wife, and we knew that, that God was calling us to something great. We truly believed what it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. That says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. We knew that God was calling us to do something great. We knew that there was so much more beneath the surface of our lives, more than what we ever even knew about ourselves and the future God had for us, and we were excited about it. And you see, the Bible talks about um, another figure um, who had a life full of purpose with a, which, with a pretty awesome name, and he was David, right? So talks about King David, and a lot of times when we think about David, we think about VeggieTales David first when he kind of breaks onto the scene, scrawny little David coming out with his little slingshot and defeats Goliath, and it's this big surprise. But actually, that's not really the way that David is described in First and Second Samuel. And, and when he first comes onto the scene, he's young, but he wasn't necessarily a chump, but but we first see him because God tells Samuel, who's a prophet, to go to the house of Jesse because that's where he's going to find the future king of Israel. And he's going to anoint him as the future king of Israel. So he goes to the house of Jesse, who was David's father, and, and asks to see his sons. So, so Jesse starts with the more obvious candidate, the oldest son, and works his way down. And each time he brings a son before Samuel, God tells Samuel, don't be deceived by the fact that he's the oldest or he's the strongest or he's the biggest. It's not him. It's not him. It's not him. Finally, Samuel asks Jesse, do you have another son? I mean, is there somebody else? And then Jesse says, well, I, I do have this other son who's, I mean, how, how would you like to be that one? I do, have, I do have this other son, but right now he's like, he's taking care of the sheep. And so, so Samuel says, well, bring him to me. And the second that he came before Samuel, God told him, it's him. He is the one you're going to anoint as king. And so Samuel anointed him as the future king of Israel. And here's the thing. He was the least likely candidate. The most likely candidates are going to be the firstborn, the biggest, the strongest. David was the lastborn. He, now, he was smaller, but he was probably not, not super, super tiny. And we'll see that in a moment. But, but, but first, we need to realize that we can't always see God's purpose from our perspective. We can't always see God's purpose from our perspective God even had to remind Samuel as he was going through that whole process of, of finding the new king and anointing him. He even had to remind him, don't go for the obvious choice. I've got something bigger in mind that you're not going to see right away. We can't always see God's purpose from our perspective. And soon after his anointing, a, distress, a distressing spirit came over Saul, who was the king at the time. And it says that this spirit troubled Saul. 
And Saul wasn't really up on, on the news that, that there had been this other um, boy, this teenager who had just been anointed as the future king, someone who was going to eventually um, take over Saul's throne. But, but the spirit came over Saul and he was distressed, so he called for someone to come and play music for him to calm him and relax him. And so the servants had heard about David, um, who, who had a, a reputation for being a skillful musician, and it says in, in 1 Samuel 16 that he was a mighty man of valor, a man of war. Um, so he wasn't, he wasn't a chump. Um, prudent in speech, and he was handsome. It says, and a handsome person, and, and the Lord is with him. So David came before Saul, and he played music for him, and, and Saul was calmed. And, and so Saul was so grateful for David being able to, to take care of him in that way that, that he made him his armor bearer. And it's really at that point after he was working as the king's armor bearer that he defeats Goliath. And when he defeats Goliath, Jonathan, who was Saul's son, the rightful heir to the throne, Saul's firstborn, who was much, much older than David, he recognizes that David was going to be the future king of Israel, not him. And so it, it hits Jonathan like a ton of bricks. And so he essentially abdicates his throne to David. And, and he goes one step further. He not only says, you know what, I'm giving you my place on that throne because I believe that that's God's plan for your life. But I'm going to go even further, and I'm going to come alongside you, and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be your right-hand man. I've got your back for the rest of our lives together. I mean, that is huge. That is, that is huge. I mean, talk about an obvious purpose to go from shepherd boy to, to man of war and armor bearer to the heir to the throne of an entire nation. It was so clear and obvious that that was, um, at that time, clear and obvious, that was the path for David's life. But here's the thing, it would be some 20 years before David would finally receive the throne, the throne of Israel and replace Saul. But in the meantime, eventually Saul got to know David a little, a little better and put him out over all the soldiers. He made him a general. He gave him this huge promotion. But then there was a problem. And in 1 Samuel 18, we see this. It says, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the, woman, uh, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul. Right, so Saul and his men are kind of coming back into town, and these women are coming from all over. And it says that they are singing and dancing with joyful songs, with timbrels and lyres. And so and they're singing, uh, Saul has slain his thousands, and King Saul is walking in like, yeah, what's up, what's up, what's up? But then this happens. They add an extra line on the end of that chorus that says, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And Saul goes from, what's up, to, what's up? Right? That is not cool for Saul, right? It, it continues to say that, that Saul was, was angered by this. That, that um, it says, what more can he get but the kingdom? You know, they're singing these songs and crediting him with tens of thousands and me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? He realized that David was on his way to the throne. And, and from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. You see, like David... We believed we had a clear path for our lives, my wife and I. We were making plans to, to move back to Nashville a couple of years after we had been married. I had interviewed with, a, a, I was a graphic designer. I'd interviewed with, um, with a music magazine down there, and my wife was enrolling in a school to transfer her social work degree. And, and while we were on a trip down there for a couple of weeks, kind of working out these details, I started to have these abdominal pains. And I figured one of two things was happening, and these were the only two options that came into my mind. One was that this glorious six-pack of abs that I had that I'd been hiding away was planning its triumphant reveal to the world. 
And it was, just, it was a little bit of growing pains, a little bit of discomfort there, or just something, you know, I ate something bad. I don't know. It, 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 those were really the only two options. And so like a typical guy, I put that off. We continued making plans. And then as we were getting ready to pull the final trigger and, and make that jump, we felt uneasy. And we weren't sure. It wasn't necessarily related to some of the discomfort I was having in my body. It was more just like kind of this mental heart kind of uneasiness. And we weren't sure what was causing that. So we decided just to kind of like hit the brakes a little bit on that move and just kind of just pray about it and spend some time just getting some counsel from friends just to dig a little bit deeper. And in that meantime, um, that, that, that abdominal pain just continued to get worse and worse. And so finally, I made an appointment I'm by myself to go to a doctor and get it checked out. And so when I was 25, I found myself sitting in the, a pale green um, exam room across from a doctor who literally changed my life, flipped it upside down with three sentences. The test results came back. It was cancer. And Cindy will set you up for surgery on your way out. That was it. No chance for me to be able to ask any questions. No, no chance for me to be able to kind of get any sort of comfort from him. Literally, with those three sentences, he was up, he was out. A nurse took me to go talk to Cindy. I'm finding myself sitting across from this desk while she's scheduling this surgery, and, and I just didn't know what to do. I literally just said, I can't do this, and I got up, and I left. And I went out, and I had to call my wife, and, and we began this season of life together that we never expected. This was so far um, so far from removed from whatever we could have imagined was beneath the surface of our lives together. But we quickly realized that we had to answer this question for ourselves that, that I want to present to you today is that when suffering comes, will you choose to live under a question mark or a period? You see that the life that we thought we were going to have together was all of a sudden thrown into question. All of a sudden the statement, the best is yet to come, period, became the best is yet to come. Did, did I believe in those moments the best was yet to come when I was sitting in that doctor's office or sitting across from the scheduler? Did I believe the best was yet to come when I was on the phone with my wife of two years telling her I have cancer, but I don't know anything else? They wouldn't tell me anything else. I have no idea. Did I believe the best was yet to come when, when I started chemo and my, my hair was falling out and I was going through that season of life? Did I, did I not pray that God would instantaneously heal me every single time my body entered a CT scan machine or every single time blood was drawn? on for a test. And, and did, did I really believe that the best was yet to come when those test results came back um, worse than the results that we wanted? The opposite, in fact, of what we wanted. I mean, did I, did I believe the best was yet to come when I had finally achieved remission after um, four cycles of chemotherapy for six months and then the cancer came back again? I had a section of my, my lung removed, and I'm back and forth between Pittsburgh, sometimes, sometimes by ambulance. Did I truly believe the best was yet to come? My life was nothing but one big question mark. But then we, we realized that the things we thought we knew before, the things that we had heard, all of a sudden had a completely new meaning. Because sometimes it was hard, and sometimes it felt impossible, and it didn't make sense. But, but this new meaning came into our life that said, Jesus never promises us life is going to be easy. He just promises us that he will never leave us. Something we had heard so many times before, but all of a sudden it takes on an entirely new dimension. That no matter the outcome of the struggles, he was still Jesus. And God's promise remained. We had to trust that, that scripture that said that after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace 
who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We also had to choose that there was a greater purpose for our lives now. And it was not at all the, the purpose and the direction that we thought we saw before, but, but we found comfort um, even amidst our suffering in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 through 5, that says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So it was in those moments that we had to choose the promise. We had to choose the bigger picture. We had to choose the period over the question mark. And that doesn't mean it was easy, because it wasn't doesn't mean that there weren't times when I would literally, within moments, go from feeling so faith-filled to, to curled up in the floor in the middle of my living room, just bawling my eyes out, wondering why. And it was literally back and forth, question mark, period. Question mark, period. But we found comfort in David's story, because that, that continues to say that when the ladies were singing about David, the same distressing spirit that came over Saul at the beginning, who brought him before him the first time, came over him again. But this time... Saul had decided he was going to kill David. So he asked David to come back and sing for him again, but this time he had a spear. And so when he attempted to kill David, David escaped and found himself on the run. He was on the run from the palace, from before the throne that he was anointed to, to, to be seated on, from the palace into the wilderness, from the palace into a pit. I mean, how easy is it to be thankful for our lives when we're standing in a palace? But... But how will we respond when we're fighting for our lives from the bottom of a pit? Even after he was anointed king, he spent somewhere from seven to ten years hiding in the wilderness from Saul and Saul's men who were out to kill him. And most of the time it was in the wilderness. And you see, David was a songwriter, so he wrote many of the psalms. And a lot of those psalms are not even happy songs. Some of them are, but some of them aren't. These, some of these songs were full of question marks and doubt even. In Psalm 22, verse 1, he, he starts the psalm off by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But David had to make a choice to live under the question mark or under a period. And so in nearly every psalm where David pours out his heart, um, during his pain, his grief, his trials, his struggles, he always concludes the psalm with praising God and giving him glory. In Psalm, psalm 13, he, he says, How long, Lord? Question mark. Will you, will you forget me forever? Question mark. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Question mark. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Question mark. All these questions, but he always comes back to the period. He says, he concludes that psalm in verse 5 and 6 by saying, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation, period. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Amidst his suffering and amidst his struggles, he recognizes that God is still God and God is still good, period. Even Psalm 22, which begins by asking why God has forsaken him, ends by saying, they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring it to a people yet unborn. He has done it. Exclamation mark. He goes one further by putting an exclamation mark, saying that God is still victorious no matter what, no matter how this life plays out. He is still victorious in my life. The purpose that he created me with um, still has victory in this life, even if it's not the way that we, we see it happening. 
Because he was a soldier, he was an anointed king, but above all, he was a worshiper. He chose to put God first in his story. And eventually, David's life took him from the pit back to the palace again. Eventually, he, he took the throne. But you know what? If you know anything about David's life beyond that point, he screwed it up big time. You would think David would be the last person to make such horrible mistakes. He committed adultery and murder. He committed horrible mistakes after taking the throne. You would think he'd be the last person to do something like that. And, but the thing is, is he always came back to the purpose God had for him, sometimes not by his choice. Sometimes God had to work in some incredible ways to get him back on course again. But he would always come back to the period, to who God was and who God had created him to be. And Paul um, the Apostle Paul writes more about this life that we can expect in Romans chapter 5. He says, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, other translations start that off by saying, um, we also rejoice in our sufferings. We make the choice to, to rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces perseverance. And here's the thing about that is perseverance confirms our purpose. If we push through, if we persevere, we can trust that in, in moments and seasons that seem senseless, God can and always will bring them a sense of purpose. It goes on to say perseverance produces character. The original Greek for that word character actually means proof. It's not character like you're going to go through this and then you're going to be a nice guy and everybody's really going to like you at the end. It doesn't mean that kind of character. Really, it means proof. It really means proof after, um, after a trial. Proof that you can and will make it through the struggles that we face. Then it says character produces hope, and it's not referring to just hope that will overcome necessarily that specific situation because maybe we won't overcome it here in this life, but... But we can also trust through, through Jesus and the sacrifice he made for us that, that he overcame our struggles for us. And so we also will, will be overcomers, even if it means overcoming it into the next life, into our eternal life with him. That's the hope. That is the hope and the glory of God that his promise remain, and that the purpose he had in mind when he created us remains. And that's a purpose to reflect the love of God in a broken world. We are reminded again of that scripture in 2 Corinthians that says that the God of all comfort comforts us, not for ourselves so we can find comfort, but so that we can comfort others through their afflictions, through their struggles, through their pain. And when we choose the period of the question or the period over the question mark and we can, we can comfort others, we can do so just like Miles did. You can't tell me that Miles doesn't have questions. At this point in Miles' life, and in that point in Miles' life, he chose a period over the question mark. He chose to trust that his life can have more purpose, that he can, even through his questions and maybe through his pain, even though he didn't know his father, he doesn't remember his father, he has questions. And he chose that period. He chose to say, I'm going to take my life. I'm going to choose to take the things that are given to me, and I want to use them to bless somebody else. And you know what? Maybe Miles didn't didn't go at that from, from a biblical or Christian perspective, but, but how much more can our trust in the promises of God, the God who created us with such a great purpose, how much more can, can that life encourage others when they struggle? You see, David suffered, and he persevered, and he chose the period. Ultimately, 
He became known as a man after God's own heart. Even through all his mistakes, even through all of his sin and his shame, he became known as a man after God's own heart. And his story comforted us. And for my wife and I, um, ultimately God brought us through that season. And just last month, I, I, I gathered together with friends and family out in the lobby, and we celebrated being five years cancer-free. And... And I know that I know that it's only by the grace of God and, and just the, the just by the grace of God that we could get together to, to celebrate that. And and right now I'm living out the calling, my calling to make an influence in people's life through music. I mean, I thought it was classical piano, I thought it was the Nashville thing. You know what? It's right here with you guys every week, leading you guys in worship with this team and with this church. And we even though because of the amount of chemotherapy I had and two different times with, with the initial chemo and, and the recurrence, you know, we didn't know if we'd be able to have kids, but my wife and I, many of you guys know this, I, I show her off in every chance I have in videos and everything online. We, we've got a beautiful, beautiful daughter, Grace, um, who, who's just about a year and a half, and we named her that because we know that through the struggles and through the trials we face, and we know that we're going to face more in the future. We know it. But we know that the good things we have in this life are only by the grace of God. And that the strength to be able to choose the period over the question mark is only through that same grace. I would be naive to, to suggest that every story is going to have the outcome that we want. We, we had to get to a point in our lives where we, we recognized that even if the outcome that we wanted wasn't the outcome that we received, that God would be no less faithful to his promise. And even if your struggle doesn't have the ending that you want, that doesn't leave Jesus any less victorious over it. Because Paul, he, he also suffered and persevered, and, and ultimately he died for his faith. His, the story of his life didn't have um, the, the happy ending that, that many of us would, would see as being such. He died for his faith, but because he persevered, he, he's literally transformed the spiritual landscape of our entire world for generations and generations and generations. And, and the comfort that he found amidst his suffering is the same comfort that, that we're talking about today. It's being used to comfort us when we face questions in this life. And Jesus, he also suffered and persevered for us. He, he even questioned this. He died on the cross for us. He used the same words from Psalm 22, and he cried out and said, God, Daddy, why have you forsaken me? Even in, in, in his final hours on the cross, he, he recognized that the questions are still going to come. But here's the thing about Jesus. He ended it with a period. He ended it by saying, it is finished because he knew that by persevering, enduring that suffering on the cross for us, he, he knew what was at stake, and it was your eternal life. It was my eternal life, and God gave us his best, his son with our best in mind. And there's no better way to say thank you than to choose the period over the question mark, even when it seems impossible to do so, even when we feel like we have to force ourselves to do it. There's no better way to say thank you than to worship our loving Father when it is the hardest thing to do than to remember that sacrifice that he made for us and to believe that because of that sacrifice and because of God's faithfulness to us, that the best truly is yet to come.
period. So today we're going to remember that sacrifice through communion as we close here in our final minutes together. And, but first, first, I might be talking about this promise that we have, the promise that Jesus can, 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 can give us the forgiveness we need from our sin and shame. Who, who can help guide us through the struggles and trials we face in this life. And you may be here today and you may feel like that promise is not for you because you don't know Jesus as your Savior. But I want to give you an opportunity to be able to change that. If you were wondering what purpose you had, well, your purpose is about to completely take a new trajectory and a new change for the entire rest of your earthly life and your life eternally. Because you can make that decision to, 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 to set aside the questions you have and say, Jesus, you are my Savior, period. I trust you with my life no matter what I'm going through now or whatever I'll go through in the future, period. I know that you died for my sins, but you didn't stay dead. You rose again for me, period. Period. And I want to believe and I want to trust in that today. So if you guys would join with me and every, every head bowed and eyes closed, if you've never prayed that prayer, if you're, you're hearing about this salvation, you're hearing about this freedom that can be found from our sin and shame and our struggles, but, but you've never prayed that prayer, you can pray that today. You can pray that prayer today. And I, if you want to pray that prayer, just go ahead and slip up your hands. So with every, every head bowed and every eye closed, just hands up. You can receive the, the promise. You can, be, you can receive the, the purpose that God laid out for your life before you were even born. So with hands up across this room, we can just pray this together. So repeat after me. You can pray it from your heart, but just, but just believe it. And you can pray this. You say, Jesus, I believe that you are my Savior, that you died on the cross for me. But you didn't stay dead and you were resurrected. And that because of your sacrifice, I can find eternal life in you. I can find freedom and forgiveness from the, the sin and shame that have been holding me back in this life. And I can find freedom from the struggles that try and keep me from the purpose I was created with. And even if I don't fully understand it, I believe you have a purpose for me as I follow you and as I trust you with my life and all that I am. Today, I believe that I am a new creation in you. I love you and I accept you as my Savior. In your name we pray, amen. We are always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevateerie.tv.